0: Let's pray and ask for God to help us as we look at this part of God's word. Father, we pray that even when we see our own hearts, our lifestyles, our priorities, potentially confronted in your word today, we pray that you'd help us to listen well. You give us teachable hearts. So please correct and rebuke us where we need to be. Please teach and encourage us where we need it. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit that you might change us to be more like Jesus, to trust you more, Father. And we pray that all that I say and preach this morning that it might be faithful to your Word, good for us, your people, and glorifying in your sight. Amen. Preacher Timothy Kelly, T- Timothy Keller, once did a series of talks at a men's breakfast on the seven deadly sins, and his wife Kathy said, I'll bet the week you deal with greed, you'll have your lowest attendance. And she was right. People packed it out for lust and wrath and even pride, but nobody thinks they're greedy. Keller says, as a pastor, people have come to me to confess their struggle with almost every kind of sin, but never to admit that I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my own faith, my family, my soul, and others around me. You see, greed hides itself from its victim. Why can't anyone in the grip of greed see it? Partly because everyone tends to live in a certain socioeconomic bracket. Once we can afford to live in a certain suburb and send our kids to its schools, live at that level, you will find yourself surrounded by people with more. More money than you. And we don't compare ourselves to the people in the rest of the world. We compare ourselves with those in our bracket, those we live and work and study with and amongst. And we say to ourselves, I don't live as well as him or her. I'm modest compared to them. And so often we get focused on what money can buy. If we're not worrying about the next purchase, maybe we're worrying about not having enough money to get it. God, help us to wake up to ourselves and to hear Jesus' words to us this morning. The first half of chapter 6 was about the Christian's private life, so not making a show of our giving and praying and fasting, but doing it unseen for God. And now Jesus more focuses more on our public life in the world, questions of money and priorities and possessions, matters of food and drink and clothes and ambition. If Jesus had the thinking of the religious hypocrites, in his mind before, now it is the thinking of the world. And today I'm going to have four points. Uh, The first three are don'ts. Don't store up, don't serve, don't stress, and then we'll think about what we're to do instead. And so let's begin, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Don't stockpile wealth and the things money can buy. Jesus is saying. Why not? Because they don't last, as we just sung in the kids' song. They don't last. Treasures on earth are corruptible. Treasures in heaven are incorruptible. Back then, moths would eat people's clothes. Rodents would eat their grain. Rust would eat their metals. And thieves break in and steal their stuff. And for us modern Westerners, we try to protect our stuff, our treasure. With insecticides, pesticides, rust-proof paints, mould-proof paints, burglar alarms. But it still degenerates, whether through inflation or economic slumps, or theft, or burglary, or damage, or breakage goes in the bin eventually. And even if some of it lasts through this life, we can take none of it to the next Job was right when he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. Do you remember the story of the rich man in Luke chapter 12? Do you remember how he smashed down his barns to build bigger ones? He thought, You have plenty of good things saved up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, What? You fool. Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This very night, your life will be demanded from you. And this, Jesus says, is how it will be with everyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Are you storing up things for yourself? A woman called Carmelina Reed writes, A few years ago I went to a funeral of a lady I worked with. She was in her late 30s and had two small children this lady was a workaholic she used to regularly work until the early hours of the morning even after she got a fever from stress and overwork she kept on working she eventually got pneumonia was rushed to hospital but died a few days later at her funeral her husband spoke and he said that his little girl had asked him where mummy was now. And Carmelina says, I'll never forget what he told her. He said, mummy doesn't exist anymore. From a materialistic perspective, this couple had everything. Nice house, cars, kids, holidays, prestigious careers... They believed in materialism and that's how they lived. And the great Australian dream is by and large a materialistic one. People live as if matter and money is all there is. And to this Jesus says in Luke 12, he says, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. The things that, that we have, the things that you have won't get you real satisfaction or security or significance? Are you thinking that they will? In verse 19, Jesus is not banning us having possessions or money in the bank, saving for rainy days not forbidden, nor is having insurance or saving for a home or a car or the like. Scripture praises the ant for storing up food for the winter, And Scripture declares that the believer who fails to provide for their own family is worse than an unbeliever. We're not to despise, but rather enjoy the good gifts of our Creator. But Jesus forbids that greedy and selfish accumulation of money and the things money can buy. So I ask, is he speaking to you directly this morning? Jesus speaks against extravagant, luxurious living which usually goes hand in hand with a lack of compassion and generosity for those who are in need. The trouble isn't that we have things but that we hold on to them so tightly and we always want more. We keep wanting more. And so to honestly earn and save some, and give generously, that's wise and good. To hoard and spend only or mostly on ourselves is unwise and dangerous. Even if we're able to purchase a home or get a mortgage, it's so easy to have all of our thoughts and energy taken up with that mortgage, paying it off, or all our thought and energy taken up with the new garden, the new kitchen, the new paint colours, what we don't yet have. And I know what that's like. The biggest issue is not so much how much we hold on to, how much we give away, but where our heart is, where your treasure is. That's what Jesus says in verse 21. He's saying, where is is your treasure? Where is your treasure? What do you treasure and love and think about the most? Again, as we've heard in the Sermon on the Mount, it's about the hearts. And so one person can rightly, helpfully love God and save up for a house deposit or for their retirement, while another person can have those things become their security, their counterfeit God. And Jesus is saying, don't be a fool. Don't get the temporary things and lose the eternal. Don't be a fool. Rather, verse 20, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, which you cannot lose. Now, only trust in Jesus and clinging to him in faith will get you and I to heaven. And the treasures in heaven will be wonderful beyond our wildest expectation. Partly the treasures in heaven will be far more of what we've experienced in the here and now. Isaiah spoke of finest of meats and the, the best of meats and the finest of wines. I look forward to that. But more than that, heaven, heaven the new heaven, it will be undiluted love, utterly sinless life. Untarnished integrity. It will be responsibility without fatigue. It will be emotions without tears, worship without restraint. And best of all, it will be the presence of God. Unqualified, unrestricted, personal, intimate, near. Presence of God. And and we won't receive this on the basis of what we've done, but only because of what Christ has done. As Isaiah 25 said, we trusted the Lord and he saved us. Storing up treasure in heaven is not about a treasury of merits where all our good deeds and our generous giving go into some sort of credit account in heaven? No. Doing the best I can won't take away my sin. That's why God sent Jesus Christ to die and rise again. We store up treasure in heaven as we live by faith. As we, in our living by faith, we sacrifice for Christ and for others And as we introduce others to Christ who will enjoy heaven with us. And as we use our money for gospel causes and to give generously. The Apostle Paul speaks about this, the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and from verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. I think that's the majority of us. Is that you? Are you doing that? Is eternity motivating you to generosity? Cheerful generosity? Or does something need to change? It's usually, usually our desires that need to change. And that's where Jesus heads next in verse 22. If your eyes are unhealthy or bad and your whole body Your whole body will be full of darkness. You see, what you see speaks of what you desire. And that affects what we desire, it affects what we seek, and in the end it can affect our whole life, the direction of our life. So are your eyes, are they being clouded by greed and materialism? Our jealousy, our resentment, our envy can all grow through the eyes. What we look at what we want and so whether it's seeing someone's new clothes their new phone their home our envy can grow as does our desire to obtain that get that for ourselves and jesus is say ungodly desires can fill us with darkness potentially even make us wander away from the faith This leads to our next point. Jesus says, "Don't serve. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Don't serve money." And there's this love-hate language here. It can sound extreme. But it's not absolute. It's like when Jesus says in Luke chapter 14 that to follow him as a Christian, he said there that we must hate our father and mother, our wife and children, our brothers and sisters. We aren't literally to hate them and we aren't called to literally hate money, but it means that God must be first in our lives and in our hearts by a long, long way. God wants me to love him that much that money matters little in comparison. So the question is who are you devoted to what do you what do you value most? Jesus pushes this on us, He pushes it on you. Will it be money or will it be God? Can't be both. You see, a master is not the same thing as an employer. People can work for two employers. But no slave can be the property of two masters. And slave language is used here. Serve means serve as a slave. And if you're not mastered by God and under his rule, then you will be mastered by sin and worldliness. You and I, we cannot love God and money. Cannot serve God and money. So if you try to divide your love and allegiance between God and money and the things money can buy, really you've already given your allegiance to money. We can't do both. Maybe we say that we believe in Jesus and matter isn't all that matters. Money isn't all that matters. But then do we... At the same time as saying and believing this, do we own just as much as our neighbours? Do we have the same dreams and goals? Do we spend all so much on ourselves, on our houses, on our kids, on our holidays, on our super, on our shoes, on our clothes, on our gadgets? And we might tell ourselves, oh, I, I give five, ten percent maybe of my income away. I put $50 a week into the offering. I'm generous. I encourage you to read Beyond Greed by Brian Rosner. Uh, Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods, is also really helpful on this. It's so hard to resist this when our consumer society constantly tells us that life at its best is is found in having more. And as Christians, we know it's false. But with the lure of the ads on TV and the lure of our friends and our work colleagues, our fellow students' priorities, it's strong. And we like the feeling of new things, a new phone, new jeans, a new kitchen, We like the feeling those things that can give us, I mean, the things that we can see and we can touch and we can feel them. And we feel the tug away from the spiritual riches that are offered in Christ. And we feel drawn to worldly treasures that cannot actually feed or fill our soul. So let's admit it. So many of us struggle in this area. For example, two jobs become available to you and it's the salary that clinches it for you. It's not the opportunity presented by each to serve God, nor do we necessarily consider how the longer hours of one job will stop us serving the Lord through church. Or we make a needless decision to a better car a bigger home, a newer phone because it'd be nice or because I want to keep up with my peers or surpass them. Let us see our sin and confess it for what it is and turn away from it. And when we turn away from our sin and back to God, know that there is forgiveness real and full and forever. We need to keep our gaze, our mind, our desires focused on the joys to come in heaven, Jesus says. and We do well to keep our and to know joy in what we have now in Christ's love and in serving him. But if you serve money, whether you have a little or not enough, it'll make you worry. The next point is don't stress. Food, drink, clothing, verse 31, they're all things that money can buy. They are material necessities. God knows we need them, Jesus says. Verse 25, though there's more to life than that. Jesus says in verse 27, don't worry. Worrying is useless. Instead, we are to trust that God cares for us. And Jesus says, look at the birds. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Jesus says, are you not much more valuable than they? Notice how the the Lord provides for birds such as these through natural means like sun and rain. But do you notice, too, that it's also God provides for them through their hard work, their hunting and gathering. So, too, God provides for us through means, like employments, hard work. And we thank God that if we can't work, then our government provides for us, too. But Jesus says you matter to God much more than birds. God cares for the birds. We're God's children, children of the king, He cares for you. You don't need to be anxious. So don't stress, but trust. Don't stress, but trust. Believe that God cares for you and he will provide. Verse 30, verse 32, God cares for you, he will provide. And so we of little faith need to trust our Father God with our needs. But what if we're worried? What if we are someone who worries about material things? Have you heard the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? It says, in every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. Ain't got no place to lay your head because somebody came and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. You may have to litigate. Don't worry, be happy. Look at me, I'm happy. Is it really that simple? Is it just about positive thinking and telling ourselves to not worry? No. Picture three men. They could be three people. Fred could be Fran. Fred's a happy-go-lucky, almost irresponsible person. He rarely gets anything done, never on time. He doesn't worry about the next five minutes, let alone tomorrow. He's a nice guy. He can remain irresponsible, though, and insensitive to the needs and feelings of others. Stuart is almost hyper-responsible. He takes every grief and burden seriously. If there's trouble, he frets over it. He doesn't just get stomach ulcers, he gets outside ulcers. He worries about the economy, his finances, and how he'll manage when he retires at 65. Cade is a balanced and sane young Christian man, a person of integrity and hard work. Married with two kids, he supports them faithfully while trying to finish his doctorate. With about one year to go, he wakes up one night to discover his wife cannot speak or move one side of her body. A brain tumour is discovered and surgery was not successful. She's given three years to live and told that she will become more and more like a vegetable over that time. And then she'll die. And she does. These three people hear some preacher preach on our passage and the preacher says to worry is to distrust God and it's shameful. How will each react? Fred is quite happy. He, He thinks others are too uptight anyway. Why strive for an A when a pass is good enough? He cheerfully obeys the commands to not worry. Stuart feels quite rebuked by the sermon. He knows it's him and he despairs. He starts to worry about his worrying. Cade listens to the sermon and unless he's remarkably mature and full of grace he bitterly sneers under his breath. Says the preacher should watch his own wife die before he dares cover such a subject. And if he's tired and feeling vindictive, he starts to think about the many other things in the world that justify worry. Wars, financial crises, divorces, deadlines, overdue bills. And he thinks, not worry. You don't understand. It's not possible. Fred, or Fran, needs to hear something of self-discipline. Self sacrifice, hard work, and a concern for others. Stuart needs to hear of God's providence, of the means and results of prayer, and of the self centeredness that often drives such worry. And Cade needs a close and loving brother to weep with him and pledge support and perhaps point afresh to the proof of God's love, the cross of Christ. We could say that there is a good kind of worry, a genuine concern for others and for doing good. We are to be concerned about faithfully serving Jesus and meeting our responsibilities. But the worry that Jesus speaks of, it It is sinful and it shows unbelief. And I've been guilty of it. So when you begin to stress, maybe you could turn to or memorise and quote to yourself Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 and bring to your heavenly father your worries with thoughtful requests, seeking that his will will be done remembering Jesus' words in the Lord's Prayer. And accompany accompany these requests with sincere thanks for the undeserved blessings you've already received, the spiritual and the material. Maybe by grace you could even thank God for the opportunity to stretch your faith through another hardship. In this, we learn to really trust our all-wise and all-gracious God. We learn to trust the all-wise and all-grace, all-gracious sovereignty of God. Because if God has graciously given us His Son, how will He not along with Him, give us all things? If not in this life, then the next? So believe that God cares. Christian, believe that God cares for you. Believe what God says. One couple served in a small Canadian church. On Christmas Day, the man distributed food packages gathered by the church to the destitute in the community. He returned home to his wife and both of them thanked the Lord for the food which he had provided for them. It was one can of beans. Half an hour later, they were invited out to a Christmas dinner. God provides. I can testify too that when my wife Kirsty and I lived for four years during college without, with children and without a full-time wage, things were tight. God provided and yes maybe you read this passage and maybe you ask if God provides and he promises to feed and clothe his children how is it that so many in the world are naked and malnourished let's not be too quick to blame God I think there's no simple solution to this but please see that The problem isn't inadequate divine provision, but inadequate human distribution. People hoard and spoil and waste resources and don't share them. Greed, corruption and a lack of compassion contributes to global poverty, as does our own sin and selfishness. And still, when a Christian starves to death, know that God has provided for their ultimate and eternal good and to go and be with the Lord is better by far. Our final brief point is seek. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness, verse 33. We all seek something, we all strive after something and as we've heard, if we seek and strive for money, and what money can buy is our biggest priority. We'll lose it all. Seven, two. And this is a similar point Jesus is making here to what he said in verse 20. God wants us to seek first, as of first importance, the kingdom. And that means seeking the spread of the rule of Jesus Christ, seeking the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ. And we do that firstly... By coming to him in faith and trust, coming to the King Jesus and under his rule. And it happens as others come under his rule too. So we are to seek others to come under the rule of King Jesus. Let's seek to win people into the kingdom. And as Christmas approaches, maybe you could ask your friend or work colleague how they celebrate Christmas. When you've listened well, even asked a follow-up question, maybe you could share with them how you celebrate Christmas and you celebrate by remembering the birth of Jesus Christ who came to give people all over the world real hope, never-ending life. And maybe you could invite them to come to carols and hear this good news message for the naughty and the nice. Let's seek to win people into the kingdom. And lose yourself, give yourself in obedience to God. See, living the righteous way, the right way, God's way, it affects everything we do. Our priorities, the way we treat people. It will start with how we treat people and relate to others, but it will even affect our bank balance and our level of giving and our lifestyle and what we say no to. Seeking Christ's kingdom will affect what we say no to so we can give to people who spread the gospel and to people going without. Are you doing that? Are you giving to people who spread the gospel and to people going without as you are able and with cheerfulness? Pray that this generous spirit that's shown in action, pray that it will become a habit for you. Yet why not start with one step, one commitment that you make today, one choice, one choice to make one cutback, one choice to not upgrade, a choice to give less to your children or grandchildren so you can give more to others, so you can give generously. Because you Live to please your saviour and master, not money. The take-home message is instead of storing, seeking, stressing about money, trust that God cares for you. Seek to serve Jesus with your all, even your wealth. Instead of storing, seeking and stressing about money, Trust that your Father God cares for you and seek to serve Jesus with your all, even your wealth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you might help us to be convicted of attitudes, desires, areas in our lives where we need to change. Please forgive us for the times when we've been blind to our own greed, when we've been selfish with our money and the things that we buy and seek. Change us, Lord. Forgive us afresh through the good news of Jesus. If Forgive us through the cross of Christ. Help us to trust in him. And Lord, we pray that you would help us by your grace to live differently and that you might help us to desire you, God, more than anything. May we love you and not money. Please give us a passionate desire to seek God's kingdom and righteousness. God, we pray that you would make us generous givers. Fill us with compassion that shows itself in action. May we do this for the good of others and the glory of our God who loves us and who saved us in Jesus. So we pray in his name. Amen.